Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, where we are making old school young again. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining me this evening is someone who I'm sure needs no introduction to this crowd that we have assembled here. Uh, He is a fantastic artist. He has a great show. Uh, He also has a great live show with uh, Victor Gorchev here in chat called The Natural Ones. Uh... Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce for the first time on Rolling Bones, John Torres, a.k.a. The Basic Expert. John, welcome. Greetings. Greetings. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, man. Oh, no problem. No problem at all. So, uh, to kick things off, we're going to start the way that we always do. I've got these introductory questions that uh, everyone gets asked when they come on Rolling Bones. So, let's throw things all the way back to the beginning of your uh, role-playing life. How did you get into RPGs? Uh, so I've, I've mentioned this before, uh, and it, I know some people hate this edition. I don't necessarily like it either, but I started in fourth. Uh, so I wanted to play D&D for a long time. I grew up in a very evangelical household, so I wasn't allowed to play it in the 90s. And so as an adult in the early mid 2000s uh 4e was what was out and so i mentioned i wanted to, to play it my wife then girlfriend bought it for me for christmas she bought me the starter set that had like the red box with the i think it was the elmore painting on it the guy swinging the sword of the dragon not knowing the blasphemy of like 4e with that cover on it you know um <laughs> but that's what i started with and i i had a lot of fun with that and uh lots of good memories even dis- despite that addition in 4e and moved to 5e and then i found the osr and it's been uh it's been osr ever since so Mm -hmm. Uh, apparently uh according to raven wolfgar you're a little bit quiet so i'll turn you up on my end i I don't know if you can turn yourself up on your end but it it sounds like oh let me see everyone thinks you're a little quiet here how's that Everyone, what do you guys think? I can hear him just fine, but I've got him in my ears, so... Yeah, is that better? It does sound a little bit better to me. Turned it up a little bit. Cool. Let's see. All right, so we'll keep going, and then we'll adjust as we need to. Um, So, you know, next question. uh, With all of the games that you played, kind of since those... uh, you know, 4E days, all the cool stuff that you've discovered in the meantime. Uh, what would you say your favorite game of all time is? 
Well, we were kind of talking about it before the chat, but uh, I really love the Rules Cyclopedia. Um, it, it, it's like my desert island book. If you stranded, stranded me on a desert island with a group of people willing to play a game, I'd want the Rules Cyclopedia because it's everything I would need to uh, to run a game. You have a setting, you have Nistara, you have all the rules you need, uh, monsters, everything, and it's in one complete package. So I would say the Rules Cyclopedia or BX Beckme is like my favorite uh, favorite RPG. I just got to stick with a classic classic like that, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're still saying that you're quiet, so uh, so hmm. I guess jack it up a little bit more. Turn up my gain. Is that better? You're, yeah, you're spi- you're spiking more on uh, the the interface here, so I. I think that should be okay, uh, but but we'll see. Sounds like we've got some uh, some audio files in the chat here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, rule cyclopedia. I'd say rule cyclopedia. Awesome, awesome, cool. So um, let's see. Oh, just forgot my own questions there for a second. Jesus. All right. Um, so. All of us like to play the game in a certain way. We've all got, you know, a style of game that we like to run and a style of game that we like to play in. So if you had to, like, describe your ideal game that you run or your ideal game that you play in, you know, what what would that be? Uh, like my ideal style of a game? Yeah. Um, I like sandbox games. So what I often do is I, I like making maps. So I generally make a map where I'll use, if I'm using the campaign setting... I'll use uh, a map, and I like to just sort of populate the world with um, rumors, but I never really flesh them out, and I'm of the mind of just making stuff up as you go along. <laughs> so uh, I, I like discovering the world with the players. Um, I don't like having them discover the story that I planned out for them or whatever. I'm not an author. I'm not, a, I'm not even a director. I view myself as a referee between what the players do and the rules of the game and the rules of the setting and the world that they're in. So uh, my favorite is probably got to be a, a sandbox game. Just giving the players complete agency. Go wherever you want to go. Do whatever you want to do. And uh, let's see what happens. So I, I love that style of play. Gotcha. Gotcha. So are you a fan of like a, as much of a sandbox as something like a West Marches game? Is that kind of your jam? Uh, I've never really actually su- successfully done a West Marches game just because it's hard to... you got to end back in town. Yeah. But um, I, I like... The few West Marches games that I've done, I liked. Uh, but generally, like, just my normal play group, like, my in-person play group uh, is very uh, sandbox. Like, I, I use rumors out there, and I don't know where my players are going to go or what what bait they're going to bite. And I don't really, like I said, I don't really flesh it out because there's too many rumors out there to make, and I don't want to overburden myself with overprep. I think that's what burns a lot of DMs out. So I kind of as the players are playing and I kind of see what they're interested in, um, I kind of start fleshing things out that they seem interested in and neglecting the things that they're not. And I just sort of roll with it that way. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Now, those of us who, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about this hobby, doing shows like this, doing our, uh, you know, projects that we publish ourselves, we do this, out of love, and that love comes from fond memories of playing games with our friends. So if you had to pick, like, a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? 
Oh, man. Um, this, a while back, I ran a campaign, and uh, it was an in-person game. It was probably like five, six years ago. <clears throat> and uh, I, I don't know. I it, This is when I discovered, like, sandbox and just kind of improvising on the spot um, and letting the players decide. I kind of made the secondary villain of this cult, and uh, I had a, a major villain that was planned out, and the players were not interested in that as all, at, at all. But uh, they loved interacting with this villain, and there was one particular time where they had like a, a dagger that was an artifact that this cult was after. And uh, there was this... The, the thief was like going to hand it over and flip the dagger around, stab them with the artifact, and it led to this awesome melee. And uh, it was very exciting, and uh, they just held this grudge for the entire campaign against this secondary villain and um i i thought it was uh it was a lot of fun that i just it, it sticks out to me because that's when i remembered like or realized i didn't put much prep into this villain and the players really loved it <laughs> why is that when, when this other villain that i put a lot of prep in they didn't and so it was just a real eye-opening moment for me so i just always remember that uh that point i guess in my gaming uh, experience mm-hmm Gotcha, gotcha. Cool. V Victor, you're... I, I just saw your chat. You're making me blush, man. Come on. <laughs> it's like every every time you see me, you just talk about how handsome I am. I appreciate it, but... <laughs> I ain't handsome, Howard. There you go. <laughs> oh, God. That's... Uh, I, I need to move on from that. <laughs> now they're talking about your hair <laughs> they're saying it's magically enhanced so. <laughs> it's and that's a plug i know we're still in the middle of this interview but a plug for next week's interview uh ben barsh will be on the show with his dad bill and if you want to see some glorious hair ben barsh from paysetter <laughs> games that hair is magically enhanced this is like normal just just <laughs> finely crafted his is magically enhanced so <laughs> but uh we have one last introductory question and this is one that some people struggle with a little bit i will tell you the answer can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be but you absolutely cannot say your logo okay <laughs> if you could put anything on a t-shirt what would it be? Oh man. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, that's that's a tough one. If I could put anything on a T-shirt, what would it be? Oh man. Maybe a a quote or something that would just piss people off. Like, uh, you know, we were talking before the show, like maybe a Rothbard or Mises quote or something like that. Mm -hmm. Make someone upset. <laughs> Absolutely. <Other than> around. <laughs> if there were some way to do like in very tiny print so that you'd have to like really squint to see it, but just like the entire text of uh, Rothbard's essay on the paleo strategy... Cause that one really gets on that gets on people's nerves. If I could put that on a T-shirt, I think I might do that. I have a Call of Cthulhu shirt. It actually has the text of like Call of Cthulhu gotcha. like, all over the shirt, mm -hmm. and it has like a the text is spread apart, so it makes like the Cthulhu shape. You could probably do something like that. 
make it like Rothbard's head or something like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, Lou Alou is in the chat now. And yes, I, I guess the Battle of the Hair will be happening. Uh, I was hoping to save that for North Texas. And uh, as Levi and I were talking about having all of the uh, all of the bald gamers kind of be the lumberjacks around the ring in our hair versus hair match. But uh, we'll, we'll work out the details. I, th- I think uh, Victor was saying he'd put your face on a shirt there in chat. It says Ryan Howard's face. <laughs> oh, God, this is going to be a thing now. <laughs> Victor, you already have uh, taken over what my... Uh, my anything on a t-shirt would be in that I'd put your quote of Ryan Howard is right and handsome on a t-shirt. No, that just needs your face with that quote underneath it. I guess. <laughs> I guess. So those are the introductory questions. And now I want to really get into the, uh, you know, the stuff that you do on a regular basis. So, uh, what was it that made you want to start like making these YouTube videos and doing live streams and stuff like that? Um, I think it was around the time I had discovered, uh, like that I really truly loved the OSR and I was ready to leave Five E. Mm-hmm. Um, I and and I had been DMing for a long time and I was like, ah, you know, Jenny Jenny D has been DMing for like six months she's over there she's over there telling people what to do like and how to do it like i i could do it so mm-hmm. um yeah i was like I, I have opinions on stuff and how i run games and i feel like my my games and campaigns have always been successful and we've always had fun and so i thought you know i i, I kind of want to share what i know and talk about something i'm passionate about so let's start making videos so first few videos are pretty rough um i think my videos are still kind of rough i'm still working on finding my style but uh um yeah i don't know i just i just felt like uh i want to start talking about this i i feel like i'm vaguely qualified enough to so <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and uh i to to address crafty matt in the chat i am i am well aware of how weird this community can get and i love it i'm here for it i mean in theory, some of you out there play Dungeon Crawl Classics, and I know how weird that gets, and I know how weird other games get, so yeah. Yeah, I'm, I understand. And Cal, don't don't worry, I don't trust the Dutch. Sorry, Victor. Now it's a, uh, a crafty one, so. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> they make great ovens, though. <laughs> and shoes yep clogs <laughs> absolutely absolutely now uh one of the things that you've really kind of become known for and something that you've really kind of focused your channel on is classic traveler now i have not ever played traveler i am vaguely aware of what it is um so i'm going to challenge you with as someone who makes content about Traveler, how would you pitch to someone like me who is familiar with Traveler but never played it on why we should play it over something like, uh, you know, Starfinder or, uh, you know, any of the other sci-fi RPGs that are out there? Uh, well, Classic Traveler is a part of gaming history, mm-hmm. so I think that's a big part of it, too. It's, it's um, 
it came out in 1977 so it came out uh just after like original D D. mark miller's talked about how traveler was originally influenced the, the reason why traveler shipped originally in three little black books was because that's how D D originally was sold mm-hmm. um but traveler is a great game if you want to do like firefly like a firefly style game mm-hmm. traveler is like a perfect game to do it especially like a uh, classic traveler and the, Mo- the the recent mongoose traveler is really good too um i i really like that too or, or the cephas uh, cephas games but um classic travel in particular is just like i feel like a special part of gaming history and so it's cool to play and it's a very playable game um mm-hmm. i think uh, like i don't consider myself incredibly intelligent uh and i'm not a big fan of crunchy games mm-hmm. and i like classic traveler i don't find it hard to play or do uh and every every time i played it we've had a lot of fun um oh and shauner's here uh He's a big, he's, he's the traveler guy. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> um, and I, I think it's just a fun game. I classic traveler is hyper deadly. So you got to be prepared for that, but it also makes it fun. And, uh, I think it's an easy game to run. It's an easy game to referee as well. It's, gotcha. it's very straightforward. So, yeah. And honestly, that's something that I've been kind of missing from my RPG experience. I have not done really much of any sci-fi gaming at all. Which is why, uh, to answer 28mm, I haven't played any Traveler. The only sci-fi game I've played any, you know, for for any extensive period of time was Starfinder. And Starfinder was fine, is is how I would describe it. I, I wish there was something that's a little bit more kind of, you know, like classic Star Wars or Firefly, like you mentioned. Something, you know, that, that kind of has that grimy space pirate feel to it and it sounds like you can really get that from traveler so maybe i should uh start giving that a look the facsimile edition which is the three little black books combined into one is like i think it's like three bucks for the pdf on mm-hmm. drive through rpg and i think like pdf and physical book from there is like nine bucks eight bucks or something like that it's super affordable or you can uh you can pay for a cd-rom from mark miller himself He'll, he'll ship you a CD-ROM of like everything for thirty bucks or something like that. Uh, Matt uh, Barninger in chat because he he's played in a couple of my Traveler games. Uh, he he mentions character creation. Character creation is a lot of fun mm-hmm. in Traveler, especially in Classic Traveler, because you can die in character creation in <laughs> Classic Traveler. Nice, and that's just hilarious. So <laughs> it, it it sets. I, I like that you die in character creation because it sets your it sets player expectations up for what this game is going to be should you get into combat. Should you should you uh, elect violence? It's like, uh, you better make sure you're going to win. <laughs> so, Because mm-hmm. um, you can die in character creation. Can you imagine what's going to happen when you start uh, traveling the stars? So, It, it sounds kind of like uh, aces and eights in that regard, where if you find yourself in a gunfight, uh, someone is going to die. Yeah, that, and that's the way I play it. Like... A 28 millimeter same traveler can play be played in many many ways and it's it's true you could you could make it more heroic and less like gritty if you wanted to i like the the grit i like the um like when when they were playing it in my game uh some of the guys here in chat like vic and um matt barninger and, and a few others uh they went in like all rainbow six style they're like mercenaries for the third imperium and they're going in all rainbow six style to like rescue some um arms manufacturer R and D scientist, you know, and they're 
they're trying to maintain surprise on these uh, Soleimani insurgents that they're they're taking out, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. And uh, it was funny though because they were one shotting these insurgents, and they were first like, "This is cool. This is this is like really neat. Like sneaking in and shooting them, and then they hit them." Well, you know, we're one shotting these bad guys, but that means that they could one shot us as well, and that's just that's how classic traveler is in a lot of ways. So. Mm-hmm. Louis, at least the way I run it. So, gotcha. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate a game that you can run either to be as gritty or as heroic as you want it to be. But these days, I'm really kind of leaning more towards grit in my games as well. Because let's face it, there's not a whole lot of grit available in what a lot of people would consider like the mainstream RPG market, and so that's why I'm glad you do what you do and why I'm trying to do what I do so that we can show people, hey, there's, you know, a lot of really fun, cool games where you can definitely die, but, you know, there there's stakes. There's there's something to this. Yeah, I I I think that's a, the problem with a lot of modern game um I guess uh ideology or design is that they don't want the players to die because there's this mentality like dying isn't fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, But why is like Dark Souls as a video game, for instance, very popular? Why is Elden Ring? It's because it's hard. It's because it makes the players think. And that's me. Before these these video games existed, that's what tabletop role-playing games, in my opinion, were a lot like. Um, I like watching my player characters take their characters from zero to hero, for instance, kind of that hero's journey. And uh, that's why I like the, the grit element as they go from like running away from combat and being sneaky and uh, to being like very heroic and, and adept at what they do as characters. I think that's really cool as, as it's it's makes the level up progression. If you're doing a level up system like in old school D&D or um, Traveler doesn't have leveling up a classic Traveler at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just watching them grow and become better players and better characters is just fun to me. So. Yeah. I don't feel like modern gaming necessarily always offers that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but what it does offer is coffee. You can uh, you can work in a coffee shop, which uh, everyone has wanted to do when they play RPGs. Is, isn't, isn't that right? Yeah, you can go to prom. Because uh, <laughs> everyone goes to prom in college. It just shows how to, out of touch those writers were. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's weird is it does feel like people go to prom in college... Uh, my, my younger sister is in college right now, and there's a lot of, they call them formals in college, but it seems like prom doesn't end in high school anymore. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm a college dropout, so I missed all that. So uh, You made a good choice. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's that, uh, that sparkle troll mentality, to use that fantastic word that Ryan David uh, came up with. Mm-hmm. Man, that that word was a goldmine. I thought I was brilliant when I came up with medieval Justice League, but that that term, sparkle troll, is just that's another level up. Well, like we were saying before the the stream, like it just perfectly in two words encapsulates the kind of people that these people are. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's it, it's interesting to see. And, and something that I really wanted to talk with you about tonight, I started 
from the school of there's no wrong way to play D&D, but as you have pointed out in your streams, and as other people have pointed out, the people who constantly say there's no wrong way to play this, there's no wrong way to run it, why are you telling me how to have fun, why, you know, why are you telling me that my fun is bad or my fun is wrong, these people, for the most part, run a session and a half to three sessions and that's it and it seems like everyone gets burnt out at that point so i guess to frame that as a question for you do you believe there's a wrong way to play this game well i think if you're if you plan for a long-term session like long-term campaign and you're like we want to i want to run this game every friday night uh for the foreseeable future and it ends in three sessions like something went wrong and you know, it, it could be that people's schedules just got out of whack. Like, we're all adults, and it happens. It's happened to me before. Um, it's hard. Or something is fundamentally wrong with the game itself. And the fact that 5e, I, I don't know how accurate the, the statistic is, but I saw, like, the six-session statistic, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. They generally don't go beyond six. The fact that that's, like, a, a thing, and you, and I think you hear about dm burnout i hear about it all the time from 5e people it seems to be like very prevalent within the 5e world of of this hobby and uh i mean i've been dming since for like 10 years now i'm the forever gm and i'm not burnt out yet i'm like still excited to run games and so what's what's the difference and uh it could be rule system it could be just mentality and culture around it i'm i'm not entirely sure but um I don't know where I'm going with that, but (laughs) I don't, I honestly don't think it's the rule set because I think I'm of the belief and, and I'm sure, you know, Victor would back me up on this. I know, uh, you know, professor dungeon master certainly thinks this structurally, there's nothing really wrong with five E it's the different ways that they've designed to get you around killing characters. It's it's little tiny things within 5e that don't have much to do with the skeleton. It's more like the the innards or the set dressing of 5e that make it not appealing. But I honestly think it's it's kind of the nerfed edges because even the people who insist that those nerfed edges belong there and that they need to be nerfed otherwise no one's going to be able to even survive. They start out trying to play in that kind of, you know, foam-wrapped environment, and they realize it's boring, and they realize it's pointless, and it's not fun at that point. But they can't admit that they have been defeated, so it just turns into, what can I nitpick? What can I bitch about? What can I blame other than myself for this particular uh, issue that I'm having. Yeah. And I, you know, I think the, the influx of like actual plays too has contributed to a lot of burnout on DMs too. You know, um, we were talking a little bit before the show about critical role, but I think the, that, that false image of what your game should look like is is very, it's a thing. I think it really is a thing. I think some people want to deny, Oh, it's not real. You know, this actual, this, highly polished actual play effect 
it's not real, but I, I do think that it is. I hear about it all the time from people that show up at tables and they expect the DM to be like Matt Mercer. And when that doesn't happen, they're like, all right, peace out. I'm done. And the game <laughs> falls apart because like a bunch of people think that way. And, um, you know, uh, I, I think, uh, people need to hear, know that like, not all games are like that. <laughs> Most games, 99% of games are not like what you see on actual play streams and, and stuff like that. Most of them are, are, uh, you know, the DM says something and there's like an awkward pause as people think about what their character is going to do or say to the NPC or to the situation. And then um, someone talks over someone else and then someone fumbles their dice and then spills a drink and it, it gets awkward and weird, but everyone's still having a good time. And that's, and it's okay to have a good time in that level of play. That's, that's what, again, 99% of people are going to get. Um, so I, I don't know. I think more people need to, kind of hear that and maybe they last longer than three to six sessions <laughs> yeah yeah if i could just like grab one of those people by the shoulders and just shake them and tell them something i'd be like actual plays are more show than game yeah yeah i'd agree with that but uh mark uh mark gutzinger in chat here makes a good point there is very much a wall uh, that you hit in 5e right around, he says 7th level, I think it's right around 10th level, um, which Victor is also saying that 10th level is kind of where he's run into it. At that point, you go from like a minor superhero to a world-beating superhero in 5e, and so that, I can see where that's burning out too, because I've run a campaign from 1st level to 20th level in 5e, and yeah. It's right around that point where you're just like, have all the monsters in every encounter. All of them, just for a challenge. I think that's why I usually force uh, character retirement at 10th level when I ran 5e. I never ran above 10th because I didn't like that uh, power level above 10th when I ran 5th edition. Um, yeah. I will say, like, you know, I posted, like, Adventures in, Adventures in Middle Earth play through uh, on, our, on my channel that, like, Vic and a few others here in chat were a part of uh and i like the that version of it because it removes the spell casting and so like i could see going above 10th level and that is a it's not a problem because there's no there's no spellcaster class so there's a lot of the broken stuff in 5e just isn't prevalent in adventures in middle earth mm -hmm. but uh yeah i i agree with that kind of 10th level 10th level spot mm -hmm. absolutely yeah, that's one of the good things about, and I talk about this a lot, but if you're going to play 5e, it's worth it to look into uh, 5e Hardcore Mode by uh, Runehammer. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's a really good way to strip away some of the stuff that makes 5e overpowered. I'm pretty sure you stop leveling, if not at, it might even be like you stop leveling at 5th or 7th level, but definitely 10th is kind of the cutoff at that point. It's uh, it's good for people who want to get around the brokenness of 5e and, and are okay with stopping at lower levels. So, yeah, definitely... I think definitely treating 10th level as kind of the top and being like, all right, you know, we're, we're done after this is, is the way to go with 5e. And historically, like in a lot of old school D&D games, that's where a lot of playgroups stopped. That's where a lot of playgroups... Uh, either retired characters or they started entering domain play and started doing 
more political stuff. I want to get get a, a holding. I want to get some land. I want to get peasants under me and start taxing them and um, building like my own little kingdom. Uh, and I want to start sending out NPC adventurers to go do my bidding instead of me doing the adventuring myself. So, uh, I mean, not everyone did that. Like Rule Cyclopedia goes up to like level thirty six, I think. Um, so. It, <laughs> It's quite ridiculous. I don't know anyone. I don't know if anyone's ever gotten to level thirty-six in that, but uh, um, it's. I don't know. Uh, I, I that, but that's why I, I retired characters when I ran five E at level ten, and it's ultimately why I switched to the OSR and started running like more BX BX itself in the Rule Cyclopedia or or BX clones, just because I liked that uh, slower leveling, the bigger leveling thresholds, and. Uh, I don't know, maybe your character won't survive till even level two. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I know we've kind of switched tracks here, but I can't let this one go by without shouting it out because it's uh, very succinct and, and very perfect. A another brilliant uh, assessment and uh, statement of an obvious truth. Uh, but Crafty Matt in chat here says that actual play is to role-playing games as uh, pornography is to sex. So yeah, it's a good comparison. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That I, I have to give you, I have to give you points for that one, Crafty. That's brilliant. Yeah, you're, you're not, you're not going to get that in the bedroom, and you're not going to get it uh, at your table. So mm. absolutely. <laughs> yep, and and if you chase that in either regard, you're going to end up uh, disappointed and uh, ultimately unfulfilled in what you were seeking out uh to to get so you know keep that in mind shall we say you'll burn out in six sessions absolutely <laughs> you will burn out in six sessions <laughs> so switching gears here a little bit you have a game uh that i find absolutely fascinating because you know the people who have stuck around uh rolling bones for a while know that I'm a huge fan of anything Wild West. So let's talk a little bit about Cow Punchers. Uh, if you had, again, to summarize it for someone who hasn't heard of Cow Punchers, how would you do that? What's your elevator pitch for this game? Uh, it's a simple uh, dice pool, D6 only, Cowboy Western game. It's very grounded, so it's, it's purposely designed it to be just either historical or at the most like a spaghetti western uh cowboy game it's not weird west or anything like that it's like just straight up cowboy game uh <laughs> and it's skill based so uh you have a skill number like if you have a uh, firearms three you roll three bonus die and uh a core dice and if you roll a five or six on them you're successful you count your successes against uh someone else rolling like a lot of opposed rolls and uh if you beat them you you shoot them roll for damage or you succeed at whatever you're trying to do. It's very simple. Uh, so it's, it's easy to pick up and play and just uh, start doing some uh, cattle rustling adventures or or uh, hunting some bandits or something like that, uh, some some uh, some bounties, you know. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So with everyone who creates Western games, I always ask the same question. What are your favorite uh, Western movies or favorite Western media? Um, I mean, I gotta say the Sergio Leone films, like the Dollar Trilogy is fantastic. Although I think I like Once Upon a Time in the West the best out of all Sergio Leone's Western films. It's just 
I know it doesn't have Clint Eastwood in it, but it's it's really good. Um, but I love I love that cinema of like the spaghetti western. I just love how kind of weird it was, and and it was that different take than like the American western, where the American western is like the John Wayne, I'm a hero, and everyone knows I'm a hero. Whereas uh, the spaghetti western is always about like this anti-hero. He's just this morally gray character mm-hmm. who kind of just maybe happens to do the right thing every once in a while, but he's more selfishly motivated. And I just think that fits that Western tone a bit more. Yeah. And I just find that more interesting and fun. So mm-hmm. I lean more into like the spaghetti Western uh, style of, of mythologizing the West than the American Western, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I have recently kind of discovered or rediscovered my love for the John Wayne Western. I was reading a book about John Wayne and I've gone back and started watching his movies again. And there's a lot to love there. But yeah, sure. I, there there is something about the atmosphere and environment of the spaghetti western uh, that really kind of encapsulates a time and place and a sense of danger that I think fits better in role playing than the kind of lone heroism of like a John Wayne type western. Yeah, and I, I think like most players, um, like if if I were to sit down and play cowpunchers with a group of people, I think most people people want to be clint eastwood's character over uh, a john wayne character in yeah. a lot of respects you know maybe they want to be rooster rooster's pretty cool yeah. but uh most people are going to be like they when they sit down and make their character they're probably envisioning clint eastwood and and nobody else <laughs> yeah yeah i i've definitely uh i've definitely made a character who was basically a clint eastwood character mixed with a little bit of my own Scots-Irish heritage. Uh, so for anyone who caught Deadlands the Hellgate trilogy, that's what uh, Clayton McTaggart was. was. Was my take on a Clint Eastwood-type character uh, if he were a Scots-Irishman from North Carolina. So That's cool. <laughs> and I had fun with it. It was a great character, but yeah... I, I I do have to agree with you that the Dollars trilogy is kind of the uh, the gold standard as far as the spaghetti westerns. Uh, I also have a controversial opinion when it comes to Sergio Leone's movies, though, uh, in that I think A Fistful of Dollars is the best of the three uh, Dollars movies. Yeah, that that I like. I mean, I like them all. Um, I think what a lot of people like the Good and the Bad and the Ugly the most for is it's just like the most grand scale, like. They just wander into the middle of the Civil War at one point, you know, and there's just yeah. people blowing. It's it's like this whole battle scene going on. They're just trying these little guys just like trying to steal gold from graves, mm-hmm. just kind of bumbling through it. So I, it has like a more epic feel to it. Um, but I like all three films. Uh, a Fistful of Dollars is really good, too. I mean, despite it being which is perfectly fine. Yojimbo in the Wild West, but mm-hmm. uh, it's it's still really good. Hmm. yeah it looks like uh it looks like you might have a sell here for Lu Lu and chat uh says he's been looking for like a straight western rpg i i definitely feel that there's a lot of weird west out there uh of course you guys know that i love deadlands and all the love in the world to david Beatty and uh weird frontiers but there there is a lot more weird West than just straight up wild West. So the fact that you really focused on straight ahead Western fair, I think is, is 
uh, a benefit to this game. Well, when you look at the, like history, and like I, I I'm going to be doing like a, a revised version essentially of the game too. We were talking about this before the show. It's going to be like expanded. The current Calpunders book is like 24 pages, and 19 of them are rules. Uh, the other six or five are uh, is an ad- a little starter adventure that's very like uh, Magnificent Seven style, defend the town from bandits sort of thing. Um, but I'm gonna I'm working on an expanded version where I'm gonna have like weapons from 1840 to 1890 like spe- separated out by decades so that like if you want to pick a specific decade, you know what weapons were around then so that you're not like. I'm in the 1840s and I have a Colt Peacemaker. Like, that doesn't make sense. Right. So uh, I'm working on that. It's going to have some extra rules. Character generation is tweaked a little bit. It's essentially going to still be the same game, but it's going to have a a lot more stuff to it. Setting information, some historical research on the West and, like, what's crafted the West. I always feel like uh, a lot of people, when they do their Western settings, they try and, like, tweak the Civil War, and I feel like you can't tweak the Civil War. Uh the wild west is what it was because the civil war happened and ended the way it did and so you can't change that and still have the wild west i think it's it's not going to be the same as right. like what we mythologize it as so i think it's important to give a little background information on uh why the west was the way it was so that will be in there too so um i don't i don't know when that's going to come out it originally started as it was going to be a, an adventure book and I was going to add some optional rules in it. And I just kept adding like more optional rules. And I was like, this just, I just need to like make one big book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. It, in just like the, the first few attempts that I have made to get some product put together, I'm noticing just how easy it is to just keep writing and writing and writing until you're all the way over here from a book that you thought was going to be all the way over here. Yeah, and I mean, the this this new thing I'm working on will be completely compatible with uh, the previous edition, the previous version. Um, and I might kickstart it because I didn't... I edited it myself, and it's I'm sure there's uh, typos in it and problems in, in my Cowpunchers game. I just hope people are forgiving in that regard because there's just one guy doing everything, doing art, writing, layout, everything. Um... So it was like a, a one-man little guerrilla guerrilla warfare RPG product, but uh, I, I'd like to hire an editor and just make it like a really cleaned-up, awesome thing for people to use and play. So, mm-hmm. and people are men- mentioning Boot Hill, which is is also ran as a straight western, and I think GURPS has a, a western game that is actually like really. I mean, I've, I've looked at it a little bit. I've never played GURPS. But uh, their their setting information is really good in that book. Mm-hmm. So, yep, yeah. I again, I haven't played much GURPS. Uh, I've had people. It, GURPS seems to be one of those systems where people either love it and are devoted to it eternally, or they don't like it. Uh, and I've had some of the some of the former try to like pull me into a GURPS game, and it just hasn't it hasn't ever worked out. Um. But, you know, I'm down to try anything at least once. I, I would try GURPS. The, from what I've seen of it, I, I don't know if it's necessarily my uh, my jam, so to speak. But, um, you know, I'd try it. So mm-hmm. <laughs> they do they do great work over there with those GURPS books on the, like their source material. Because it is kind of like a generic system. So then you overlay their setting material over it. And their setting books, like I said, the Western one is really well well researched and really well put together. 
Um, like, even if you're not going to run GURPS, like, you could take that GURPS book and run, use it in Boot Hill or in my game in Cowpunchers or maybe even in Deadlands or something like that, and you'd still get value from that book, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the good thing about publishing a Western book is any typos you can just write off as saying that you were writing in character. <laughs> uh, they were not as literate back then. Actually, I don't know. I've read, I've read letters from Civil War soldiers, and they write better than I do, and most people do. So. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're like, oh, this guy just had a sixth grade education. He sounds smarter than me. Yeah. <laughs> it's. I, I was actually talking with some friends of mine about... We were talking specifically about kind of the role that children used to play in society and how it was like generally expected that 12, 13, 14 year old boys were doing like adult jobs. And so it's it's interesting how uh, standards of like this is how you are supposed to talk. This is how you're supposed to like do your job, even if you only have, like you said, a sixth grade education. Uh, how it used to be versus what it is now. Yeah. Wow. It, school's a little different now than it was then, I think, too. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's a different topic. Yeah. <laughs> me, me going off on the Prussian model of education is not... That's not what we do on Rolling Bones. It's something I it's something I can do and something I will do when pressed, but that's not what Rolling Bones is about. I, I won't press you to do it. So <laughs> that, that is a you and me will have a beer and talk about how much we hate the Prussian model of education at some point <laughs> at, at some convention, hopefully. Oh, cool. Someone in chat says they have a great editor. So I'll, hit me up on Twitter or something. Uh, yeah. Dandelion Games. Yeah, that Dandelion Games is Lou Alu. He is a he's a fantastic uh, resource for all things RPGs. He has some great books that he's published. Uh, Lou's a great dude. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't know when it's going to be done. I'm like at thirty something pages written, and I'm like I have like fifty seven handguns from like nineteen or eighteen forty to eighteen ninety, and uh, like twenty something rifles at this point, and there'll be a bunch of shotguns. So. I'm just like doing equipment right now, but mm -hmm. uh, eventually, yeah, I want to, I want to connect with someone who can help me help fix my uh, uh, grammatical ineptitude, <laughs> my, my writing, make me sound, make me sound smart. <laughs> now, are you intentionally kind of wanting to hard stop in the 1890s or is there, are you thinking about maybe going into like up to 1915? I mean, I could go up into 1915. I was just, I don't know. I, I feel like the West was starting to die at that point, which, yeah. you know, it that is it, that's where like Red Dead Redemption takes place in a lot of instances, and that's that's definitely an interesting era as the West was dying and the the bandit and the cowboy was going uh, going away. Um, I suppose I could extend it to there. I haven't. Um, I just picked 1890 because that's like, you know, OK Corral. I think it was OK Corral. OK Corral might have been in the 80s or 90s, but around the same around the same time, you know, where like a lot of iconic stuff was happening before the decline. But um, no, I suppose I could go to like up to 1915. I don't see why not. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and people are pointing out that uh, you know Joe Kid and the Wild Bunch happen around 1910, 1912. Um, 
One of my favorite Western movies, Big Jake, is set in 1909, which, again, that's another John Wayne movie. One where he's actually a little bit more morally gray than usual, which is why I think it's an interesting movie. But, yeah, the, there's some cool stuff that you can you can find in that time period. But, you know, focus the game however you want to focus the game. Well, I'm I'm of the mind of like giving uh, I call I call referees or game masters range bosses in yeah. cowpunchers. <laughs> so, I'm I'm all in favor of give, giving range bosses as much tools and freedom to run the kind of cowboy game they want. And if I mean if they want to do weird west, you could totally and people have and are uh, hack it to do weird west as well. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I don't see why not. I might I might do that. Uh, I, it wouldn't be that hard to do. It's just it's just making essentially more equipment. The rules wouldn't change or anything like that. It's just providing people with the equipment and and some of that information for a setting wouldn't be much more work for me. So mm-hmm. I'll probably do it. You've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> now, what are your thoughts on mixing steampunk with the old west? Because I I have some thoughts on this, but I, I want to hear kind of your thoughts before I go off. I, I think the West, and this is why I did Cowpunchers the way it was, as a straight Western, no weird stuff. I think the West is interesting enough on its own. There's enough interesting stories where, like, history is oftentimes more interesting than um, than than how weird you want to make it. Uh, so I'm of the mind of just, like, keeping it... I, I just like straight, regular Westerns. I, I don't like weirdness being mixed into it. I, I don't know. Um, when it comes to historical stuff, I'm just kind of... It's just my personal taste, I guess. I like that uh, more historical flavor to it. Like in in Wargaming, I've gotten into bolt action, which is World War II Wargaming. I'm not really interested in like Warhammer 40K or or fantasy Wargaming. I want to play World War II Wargaming just because that historical stuff interests me. Um, fantasy is for... D&D and a few other like sci-fi is for traveler or something like that so mm-hmm. uh, I don't know I guess I just kind of compartmentalize things uh, for various parts of the hobby that I like I guess I, I don't know but uh, as far as west I, I just like that straight western I guess hmm. yeah I I have at times liked steampunk in my westerns uh, and this feels weird saying as a big fan of Deadlands, I'm not as big a fan now of mixing those two things together. I, For one thing, I think steampunk is overrated. Uh, I, I've kind of come around to that point of view. And, I mean, like you said, the, there's so much already present in what the real Wild West was that makes things interesting. There, there's already kind of weird technology that people were experimenting with and using there's interesting people interesting uh places to explore and avenues to go down without adding on any weirdness to it so i i think i agree with you there and i mean i don't want to like uh if someone likes weird west or adding steampunk into their western stuff and they invited me to a game i'd, I'd probably play like because mm. i don't get to play very often right. and i'm not saying i would i'd hate it and i wouldn't enjoy it but I think for my own personal games, my own personal kind of settings that I want to do, um, I just like the historical, I guess. Uh, I get why people like the, the steampunk and adding that sort of fantastical element over the top of like a mytholis, mythologized West. But 
I don't know. The, the West is already like a myth in and of itself, like like a fantasy in a lot of respects. Like what we concept, what we think of as the West is still like not exactly how it was, right. how Hollywood has portrayed it. And the spaghetti Western that I want to simulate or something like that isn't, um, isn't really how it even really was. So we're already sort of like uh, adding fantasy on top of his, history at that point, really kind of so. Mm-hmm. Uh, basic expert here or not basic expert that's you crafty matt has a question for you the basic expert uh what are your opinions on kind of the morally gray modern westerns like yellowstone i haven't watched yellowstone <laughs> i guess i don't have an opinion on that show uh but i'm not opposed to it i mean like if i like a spaghetti western that has a morally gray character morally gray story I probably like Yellowstone. Everyone says I'd like Yellowstone, so I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. But um, uh, I don't think I'd have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. I I have watched a good bit of Yellowstone. I really enjoy it. Um, I haven't watched the spinoff that's actually set in eighteen eighty three, uh, so I don't I can't comment on that. Um, I'd also throw Breaking Bad into the mix as like a modern Western, like a modern set Western. And I really like Breaking Bad. Uh, Chuck Dixon said something really interesting about Westerns a couple months ago. He said, all a Western is, is a story where two groups are colliding with each other and it will inevitably end in violence. That's the key element of a Western, is two factions colliding with each other that will inevitably end in violence, cannot be resolved peacefully. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, um, a lot of, you know, the Hatfields and McCoys, for instance, that's like something that really happened and it falls into that category. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I think, I think they still bitter towards each other even to, these, to this day. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They still have that grudge, but um, I, I like that definition because it's true. And it, it's kind of like uh, you look at any good Western movie and it kind of has that tension as it builds up to that yep. violence that is unavoidable. Like, you know, that violence is coming and you're waiting for it to come. And it's the movie is just slowly building up to it as, as all the characters move like pieces on a board. And, you know, you know, it's stacking up towards uh, the, the Mexican standoff at the end of the good, the bad and the ugly. How is it going to play out? you know mm-hmm. um, so I, I like that definition that is that's good <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's a victor's point in chat here there's definitely cool ways to do steampunk uh with with kind of your your western mixed in i like the idea that you have there about uh being on a train that's transporting a nuke that that's been invented way before it should be I did something similar at North Texas two years ago, only mine was uh, a flesh golem and a mech, was what they were transporting. But, yeah, that kind of storytelling is very, very cool. And also, uh, I I didn't mean to gloss over this, but uh, Calvinani in chat here is telling some cool stories about knowing a real cowboy who drove cattle from North Texas to Kansas in 1912. So that is, that's a cool connection there. I think that was some of the last cattle drives in Texas too. Yep. Uh, before start not being as, uh, as it once was. So. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
So yeah, lots of lots of cool stuff. You you guys are great with chat tonight. This this has been fantastic. I like this uh, this contribution here. Yeah, do all the work for us. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So another thing that I really wanted to talk with you about is art because there is nothing to me. Uh, there's nothing more appealing to me than like good RPG art because for my money, RPG art is it's a it's a lit match on my imagination. When a piece of art makes me thinking about makes me think about all the possibilities that I could bring out of like just one image. That to me is like the the peak of the form and I see a lot of that in the art that you have here. Uh, so first of all, good job on that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So art, art is an interesting thing. You're, you're trying to tell a story visually. At least that's how I view it. When, when someone gives me a, a prompt, when a client comes to me and gives me a prompt, like I want a, a image of, uh, a paladin fighting off skeletons or something like that. And it's like, okay, well, I, I, I that's a basic thing and I could just draw that, but I try and take it a step further and what's the story behind it? Like what, what's this paladin's alignment for instance, or what's his, uh, it's his view is the, what's his emotions during it. Um, what the, the setting, the background can tell a story too. I'm not saying like I do a fantastic job at that. I, I've been doing art seriously for like a little over 10 years now, but, um, and it's constantly like learning and evolving and getting, trying to get better. Uh, but that's, that's my approach to it. And I don't know, people, I think people seem to like my work. So. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I, as a Dune fan, I really like, uh, the way that you draw the Fremen as well. Mm. Yeah. I did some Dune fan art a while back. Cause it was like before the, the movie came out and I was excited for the movie and I, I liked the movie. It was good. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I, I liked the, uh, I wasn't a fan of the suit of the Fremen in the new movie. I, I liked the old David Lynch, like weird suit kind of, mm -hmm. um, which was based on some previous illustrations, but I can't remember the artist, but uh, I like, I like those, those, that style look. So I kind of went, went that route with my uh, Fremen, Fremen illustrations. Hmm. So you said that you've been doing this for right around 10 years at this point. What, what was it that made you kind of, you know, start this thing? What what kind of started your art journey, I guess, is the best way to, to put that? Well, I've always done art. I've always been an artist. Um, ever since I was a kid, I was always drawing. I've always loved to draw. And uh, I didn't know that you could, like, really make a living doing it, or it could be that it was a potential career option. And when I discovered that it was, I was like, oh, I'm going to take it serious. I want to, like try and do that and that was around 2012 probably mm -hmm. where i was like i'm gonna start doing art and so what i did is like for seven years i did two hours of art every day like no breaks um if i was away from home i made sure i had a sketch pad with me and i was sketching for two hours that day if i was on vacation or something like that there was no vacation from art and i think that helped me improve really fast um and just taking my studies very seriously so much so, like, that's partly why I dropped out of art school. I went to art school. I went to the Academy of Art University, which is based in San Francisco. Uh, and I, I remember I was in a class, and I gave, I got feedback from an from an instructor, and he's just like, yeah, it looks good. I don't really have anything to say. And I'm like, dude, I'm paying 
thousands of dollars to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to your in, to your institution to make me a better artist and you're just like, "Yeah, it looks good." <laughs> here's an here's an A. Like that's not what I'm looking for. So, um I that's when I dropped out. <laughs> I'm not wasting money here anymore. Um So I I just continue trying to learn on my own. Books, books are really good. Um one here on my desk. Uh, constant uh, constant study. This is a good book. Anyone interested in doing art, this is a fantastic book if you can find it. Um, but I, I just loved doing art. And when I, like I said, when I discovered I could make a career potentially out of it, I, I wanted to try. Mm-hmm. So, so I tried. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. What one thing that I'm seeing. Uh, Again, just another kind of random compliment here that I'm seeing in your art. Uh, you draw Gambison really well. And I think the Gambison, I, I'm of the Shadowversity mindset that the Gambison is slept on. I think more people need to embrace it as cool. Uh, so I, I really like uh, the, the way that you've drawn it. Specifically, uh, there's an image here I'm seeing in your portfolio of a uh, a dwarf with an axe who's wearing a Gambison. I like Gambus and I think it's cool. And um, I, I don't really watch a lot of Shadowversity videos, but I just think Gambus and look cool. And when I do, I do a lot of visual research when I do illustrations too. And so when you're looking at illustrations and you're looking at what people wore in the medieval era, like most foot soldiers wore Gambus. And mm-hmm. so I think if you're trying to illustrate a medieval setting, most, most fighters, most soldiers are probably wearing Gambus. And so, and I think mixing it with a uh, plate and chainmail and all that stuff can really add some nice flavor to it. I like that quilted texture look that Canvasson has in mm. a lot of uh, uh, styles. So it it makes it uh, makes a nice, interesting visual uh, pattern on a, on a character or something like that when when you have a a Gambison. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to you know like getting commissions from people and uh, you know working on this art or working on your own art. What is it that kind of really excites you uh, to draw? Like, what is it that you really love uh, sitting down and, and, and drawing out when you are working on projects? Um, interesting scenes. So, like, if a client comes to me and, and says, hey, I want this interesting scene done. Like, one client came to me recently, and he wanted an illustration of the giant of Kandahar with, like, American soldiers fighting it for his, <laughs> his, his RPG book. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. I want to draw that. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, that got me excited, you know. Um, stuff like that. Uh, if, if it's an intellectual property that I'm really uh, into. So, for instance, I've done work for Chaosium and Call of Cthulhu for the 7th edition books. Mm-hmm. And so when I was able to do that stuff, like I was in the recent Cults of Cthulhu book, that came out like this year or last year. Uh, that was like bucket list dream come true. Like I got to work on a on a cool IP that's that's Call of Cthulhu. It's Lovecraft. Like this is awesome. Um, so that those kinds of things excite me. I will do the thing though is that as an artist, as a freelancer, you have to do things you're not excited about. Yeah. So oftentimes I'll get clients coming to me and say like, we need fifty weapons. Con, uh, drawn out and concepted for our rule book and uh that's like all the job is it's like draw 50 guns <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> like 
uh, it's fun for like the first three or four, and then after a while, you're like, I'm tired of drawing guns. Mm-hmm. But you do it because it's a paycheck. So uh, you have to learn how to power through that kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've heard again. This is from Chuck Dixon, uh, but the the old Marvel audition story for artists was a story set on a uh, an airliner and it had like a bunch of old people and a lot of talking scenes and stuff it was all like the most boring hard to draw stuff just to make sure that they could do that and not just the cool stuff but everything else looked bad yeah yeah you you want to and that's that's the hard thing with uh with art too but it's partly why like i said i take that storytelling aspect when i do my art because i notice a lot of modern art today is a lot of characters just in poses and i mean i yep. do that too for for some characters it's a it, it you can't help it sometimes like i just want a character with no background and you're like okay well it's just gonna be a character standing there but um i i oft, often hear the joke of like concept man like i see a lot of modern <laughs> art I don't know if you, you you're laughing, so you probably know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yep. But like, here's this sprawling epic scene, and here's little concept man standing there looking at it. Like, it's in every single piece of like illustration ever that's come out these days. It's like epic scene, scribble in a little concept man in there, done. Like, I, I try not to do that kind of stuff. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and now. <sighs> I, I've heard of this, and and now it's making me kind of insecure about a piece of art that I've wanted in one of my books. Um, there's this idea that I had because my setting is very like heavy on dragons used to rule the world. There's a scene I wanted of a man standing inside of a dragon throne room and kind of like from his perspective. So it was it's kind of like angle up. You see his back looking up at a dragon dangling a person over top of his mouth, eating it, sitting on a throne like a king. I don't know if that's a concept man image. Um, no, that, that sounds okay. too dynamic. Like, All right. Concept man is like flat shot of like a landscape, and it might be a beautifully painted landscape, yep. beautifully concepted, designed, but it's just like concept man or concept men standing there flat in the, in the foreground just looking at it. Because they're always just looking at it. They're always looking at a castle or looking at a spaceship or something, whatever it is. Like, it's the same. It's the same composition. It's a composition error yeah. or a composition problem. Uh, a low angle shot looking over the back of someone while a dragon dangles someone in their mouth. Like I can envision that in my head already. Like what that would look like, and it looks cool. It doesn't look like concept man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Crafty's pointing out that's what fantasy art used to look like in these books is you you had adventurers in the midst of action you had people getting devoured by gelatinous cubes uh even if the art did look a little crude at times uh you still had cool things like the uh the dungeon lurker coming down on top of someone and all that kind of stuff so you know the I'm glad that you approach art that way because that's the way that I think about the art that I want in my books. Uh, so we'll definitely have to talk like professionally and offline about some some projects because it sounds like the kind of work you like to do is the kind of work I want to see in my books. So yeah, 
Well, you know, you talked about that like Fremen one, like uh, the one where he, the one I did with him jumping with the the Chris knife, like, yeah, about to take out. Like I could have just drawn it more flat, but I tried to make it a little more dynamic and like action orientated. And you know, there's a guy getting shot through with like a a, a rifle or something like that. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I think telling story in an image is just as important. That's that is a problem in a lot of RPG books, and this and in particular in a lot of like Watsi books these days. You yeah. look at their art, and it's not just the style; that it's like that weird Tumblr style. It's just. It's just like a character standing there, or it's just like characters standing there in a scene. They're not really doing anything, because mm-hmm. um, drawing characters doing things is hard. Yeah, <laughs> dynamic poses are hard. So, <clears throat> yeah, unfortunately, uh, Watsy books have kind of been taken over with what I call side shave smug face. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of a lot of crossed arms. A lot of uh, a lot of Kelly Sue DeConnick Captain Marvel, even though she's a writer, <laughs> not an artist. But that that very that ethos has has invaded a lot of RPG art, unfortunately. And I think it's kind of something to do with digital art. Like I do dig- yeah. digital art; all my art is digital. But I do do on my own, like oil painting, watercolors, and stuff like that, and pen and ink. And I think. Uh, I think some of the digital tools make artists lazy. Mm-hmm. Just my opinion, but I—it's I, been a temptation for me to be lazy. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, crafty Matt again. A lot of Watsi art is bad '80s yearbook photos, full body shots with a headshot behind it with sparkles or purple, pink watercolor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, yep. That's. And, well, and, and it's crazy. It's crazy though, too, because like one of my favorite artists is Ralph Horsley, who used to do a lot of stuff for Wizards of the Coast, and I think he still does magic cards for them. But uh, a lot of the artists that were like in the original core handbooks, like I don't see their art in these new books. It's like they're they're not hiring these really awesome artists they used to employ for their new stuff. And I don't know, can't be that they're strapped for cash. I'm told Five E is super successful, so so I don't know what the deal is with that. Like they should be able to still afford these amazing artists, but they don't use them anymore for some reason. Mm-hmm. So, I am wondering how much of that five E successful money is going into creating what is likely to be a very resource intensive and very difficult to maintain virtual tabletop. If they are indeed yeah. running it in Unreal Engine, uh, I, I imagine. They have sunk a lot, a lot of money into that particular tool. Yeah, for uh, the EAification, the microtransaction incoming of uh, D&D. It's totally what's what it's going to be, but yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, right around... The first one I noticed it in was Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. That's where I was just like, there's no art in this book. This is lazy. So I wonder if that's the point where they were just like, eh, we don't have to pay professionals. Yeah, it used to be a dream. Like I, I uh, back in 2012, uh, this was before, this is when 5th edition was about to come out. They did a call out to artists. And I wasn't very good back then, but I tried. I sent in my portfolio and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't get in. And it was, I, I've never really attempted after that because of the way things kind of went. Yeah. So I'm kind of glad I never... Uh, smirched my portfolio with fifth edition art 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but th there are companies that still do uh, great art, and and one of my favorites uh, being Goodman Games. I think they they pay a lot of great artists. Uh, you know, Errol Otis gets a lot of work from them. Uh, Doug Kovacs is one of my favorites in in kind of the the modern era. Uh, he does that old school style really well. So I I, I really yeah, th there's good fantasy art out there, and I'm glad that you are also making good fantasy art because, uh, you know, I love watching your YouTube videos and your streams and I, I really do mean it that I want to work with you professionally someday. Yeah. Just, uh, let me know when you're ready. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and that'll be the kicker because I've got a couple projects that I'm working on right now. And, uh, I, many of you know that I also have a newborn in my home. So, uh, yeah. T time is not on my side. Yeah, I know that uh, trying to get stuff done with a, with a child. Mine's two and a half now, but yeah, I feel your pain. <laughs> well, John, it's been great having you on the show. It's been great talking to you. We'll have to do this again at some point. Uh, I'm sure there are several other things we could talk about. And I will go ahead and ask if someday I can come on Natural Ones with you and Victor. Cause, uh... oh, of course. <laughs> Always welcome. <laughs> Always welcome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and Victor, I, I will also extend the invite to you. I would love to have you on Rolling Bones as well so that we can fulfill your, your childhood dream of being interviewed by Ryan Handsome Howard. <laughs> Even though I'm pretty sure you're older than I am and... Uh, and you just found out that I existed, I think, like two weeks ago. But <laughs> it's your boyhood dream, so so we'll do our best to fulfill that here. <laughs> and if you ever invite me on the Dutch oven, I will bring my Dutch oven on stream. Like it is. <laughs> So that is going to do it for tonight's show. We we are out of time, but I do want to give you the chance just to, you know, let everyone know uh, where they can find you, uh, you know, all, all the plugs that you have uh, for, you know, all the content that you do. I, I want to give you the chance to plug all that before we call it a night here. Sure, thank you. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's at the basic expert one. Um, someone took the basic expert without the one, and I, I tried to search for it and I couldn't find it, but whatever someone took it uh i have my youtube channel um i do a video now on thursdays it used to be mondays but i switched it to thursdays and i live stream usually on mondays so hanging out with ryan today instead of doing mine i think we'll do it tomorrow and uh yeah if you want to find the stuff that i make i'm on drive through rpg uh big geek emporium as well uh itch and i have cow punchers and a few other things on lulu and I have a new game that I'm waiting for a proof to come back from DriveThruRPG and Lulu before I make it go live, and it's Atomic Punk 2160. It's essentially taking OSR rules, trying to mash them into a Fallout-style setting. So if you want to do your like Atomic Punk post-apocalyptic game, uh, it's it's pretty fun. We playtested it a bit, and uh, you know, almost had two characters die, so it definitely has that OSR deadliness. <laughs> so uh yeah to keep an eye out for that but uh yeah other than that i don't 
mostly YouTube and Twitter is where you'll find me. And I have a Gilded server. My Gilded server is, uh, I can't take credit for how cool it is. It's just the people that show up. If you want a cool place, free speech place to t talk about role-playing games and just general stuff as well, uh, check out my Gilded server. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. And I will... Uh... I will be in that gilded server as soon as I get everything set up. I'm, I'm getting my account set up, so uh, I'll be joining that community myself. Yeah, it's a cool place. And again, I can't take credit for it. All I did was like make it, and then people showed up. So Sweet, sweet. <laughs> the Field of Dreams rules always apply. Yep. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, John, thanks again for coming on here. Uh, this was a great conversation. Uh, unfortunately, Victor, I will not be able to drop by tomorrow, but at, at some point we can, we can work something out and, uh, hopefully I can be on the real ones with you guys. Always welcome. Cool. Well, next week, uh, this has been my new cursed interview. Uh, it seems that we planned this thing on an Indian burial ground, but, uh, I am going to, again, try to interview Bill and Ben Barsh next week. My computer has not been crashing. It's been stable. So hopefully we're actually going to pull this one off next week uh, with Bill and Ben Barsh from Paysetter Games. Uh, so until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I am so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and with the Basic Expert. And I will see you guys next time.